0: Oh, gracious and eternal, Father, how great and how faithful, how majestic and how holy you are. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your awesomeness, your faithfulness, your kindness, and your grace. Father, we acknowledge that you are preeminent. You are the Alpha, the Omega, and from you and to you and through you are all. All things, not just some things, but all things. And, Father, right now, please forgive us for our sins. Uh, Please remove any hurdles, stumbling blocks, barriers to us hearing and receiving your word with joy and gladness today, Oh God. Father, I ask that you would would point your Holy Spirit in a way to wake us up to the new mercies and the the new grace that we have the privilege to experience today because of your kindness. Father, we thank you for waking us up and getting us out of the bed and, and bringing us to your house of worship one more time. We, we thank you for those who are the church scattered at home uh, viewing our live stream. Father, that you woke them up and allowed their, their, their internet to work and their TVs to work, that they can participate with what's going on right now. Father, we thank you how you brought us through another week. We thank you for how you continue to pro- continually provide. And you're continually blessed. And Father, I ask that you would have mercy upon us today by uh, preparing our hearts to receive your word. Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive your word. Father, please have mercy upon me, your, your servant, Lord, and help me to be faithful. Please take my, my weak words and, 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 and my weak mind and, and use them for your glory. To make much of Jesus Christ through the power of your Holy Spirit, that many will come unto the Father. Father, we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, as, I, as, I, as I've said during this season, uh, in trying times, it is wise and fitting for the Christian to trust our training. We have to trust and lean upon the word that the Lord has already given us. We don't, we don't need a new word to get by. He has given us every single thing we need for life and godliness already, 2 Peter 1 and 3. And it's for that reason that we embarked upon this study on the gospel basics, a, a, a high-level study of the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ, all from the book of Romans. This is why we've been going through this series on the gospel, to remind ourselves of the training that we have already received by God's grace. We've, uh, Over this journey, we've seen how the, good news, the gospel is the good news uh, we need today and every day. When we looked at the sermon on the gospel is good news today, we've we've looked at how the righteous wrath of God is the consequence revealed for our sin. When we looked at the consequences of sin revealed, that sermon. We've touched base and, and said because all have sinned against God, all are accountable to God. We looked at that during that sermon, no excuses. We've seen that those justified by faith in Jesus enjoy eternal guarantees. We touched on that in the sermon, justified guarantees. And last week, we saw how the Holy Spirit applies life to every single believer. Life by the Spirit. And if you missed any of those, you can... Uh, find those on our YouTube channel but that's just an, an important series from the book of Romans on how the gospel keeps us in the midst of trying times and how God has already given us what we need for right now. Today we conclude this particular study by exploring how should we live now because of this glorious gospel message that good news, the good news that life with God under the rule of God is available to all who would turn from their rebellion and trust in King Jesus. The good news that faith in Jesus's perfect life, death for our sin and victorious resurrection from the dead, we are justified and reconciled to God. The good news of God's wonderful acceptance of us not because we have earned it or because or, or or deserve it but simply because he gives it to us freely at Christ's expense this is the glorious good news of the gospel so this morning if you would turn with me to Romans the 12th chapter as we wrap this series up again uh, we'll go through this 12th chapter of Romans it's just a high level exploration of the gospel from here, but I would, uh, I would uh, encourage you to read this 12th chapter for yourself this week. Study this 12th chapter. Meditate upon this 12th chapter because of how it impacts, it, it will impact your heart. So Romans, the 12th chapter, I'm going to read the entire chapter. Uh, if you are able, uh, please stand with us for the reading of God's word. Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse very familiar text of scripture. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Nerees, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag upon the text before us this morning in our series, Gospel Basics, living in light of the gospel. Living in light of the gospel. How do we now live because the gospel rules and reigns over our lives? You know, I think we've all heard the saying about the terrible twos. We've either experienced it in our own home or we've seen it afar, maybe in a grocery store sometime. And this is the time where where a child is between the age of uh, generally two and three when they start uh, uh, getting into a lot of stuff. They start moving a whole lot, developing their own personality. They're learning a lot more words. And, beloved, we know they're repeating a lot more words too. This is a period marked by extreme selfishness, and we see it. We see it in uh, the temper tantrums that uh, these terrible twos bring upon when this child wants what they want. And it doesn't matter if they want it at home or if they want it in public in front of everybody to see, but they're going to fall out and and kick and scream because they want what they want. We've also seen this uh, extreme selfishness primarily marked in the fact that everything is mine. Mine, mine, mine. Everything is mine. They can go over somebody else's house and start playing with somebody else's toys, but they still say, mine. Oh, beloved, these are some hard days, and and prayerfully with discipline and and time and patience and growth, uh, we hope that they grow out of it. We hope. But, beloved, when I think about the terrible tools, but then I... Contrasted to this world in a in a world that places a priority on independence and autonomy. In a world that places a high priority on, 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 on doing whatever you want. In a, in, a, in a world that places the high priority on just follow your your own heart, it is nearly impossible to break free from this attitude of mine. However, beloved, the Christian life is antithetical. It is the complete opposite of a mind-type life. The Christian life is not all about winning. The Christian life is is one that will flee from hypocrisy, saying one thing, one moment that benefits you back then, and saying another thing one minute when it benefits you now. The Christian life is antithetical to being a flip-flop. Uh, the Christian life is, is antithetical, it's the opposite of being wishy-washy. The Christian life is opposite to, to being in the world for your, your pleasures and no one else. This is is where we are in our world right now. We see it, especially in our political climate where everyone only wants to win what they want to win. Everyone wants to be a winner. And no one wants to be a loser. Beloved, the Christian life is the complete opposite to a mind-type life. The Christian life is one where we're actually saying yours, yours, yours. Philippians 2, uh, 3, and 4 reminds us to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, the, the text of Scripture reminds you that we, we pray for our enemies, and, and, and we turn the other cheek in, and, and we look out for the other person, whereas this world is all about self. The Christian life is completely about yours where we actually are surrendering our lives to others that they may flourish, that where we're not looking for our own gain, but we're actually so content in what God has given us and brought to us that I'm able to say, I ain't got to get mine right now. I'm going to look out for somebody else besides me, besides my camp, besides my party, besides my tribe, besides my people. This is what it means to live in light of the gospel, where our lives are no longer our own. This is what uh, uh, is said in 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. You are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. That price being the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we gotta, if, if we're going to be Christian, we have to stop acting like the gospel has no implications on our lives. If we're going to be Christian, we can't just talk like we're Christian. We're going to have to act like we're Christian at some point in time. If the gospel has really saved you, if the gospel is really keeping you, if the gospel really has some power in your life, then something's going to change. The gospel should transform how we relate to God, even how we relate to ourselves, and especially how we relate to others. This is a word for today. Everybody's acting a fool. And when I say fool, I'm talking about folks who don't believe in God. Because if you are a Christian and and you're acting a fool, you're acting as if you have not been saved and redeemed and that you aren't getting what you deserve. The gospel should actually manifest itself in our day-to-day lives. But the only way that happens is if we genuinely surrender our lives unto the gospel. That's our big idea for today. Those surrendered to the gospel live totally surrendered lives. Those surrendered to the gospel live totally surrendered lives and it's amazing that here in the 12th chapter paul is laying out this this theme of how to live in light of the gospel and it's really in line with jesus's command to love god and love neighbor it's it's in line with those two areas and we are to surrender our lives to those two areas. We surrender to God and we surrender to neighbor. I don't think it's by happenstance that the text of Scripture is laid out like this. The fact that we surrender to God and we surrender to others because those, th- th- those are the, those are, that's the greatest commandment, to love God, love neighbor. So naturally, it would flow out of the gospel, and we see it in the text today. We see it in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, Paul moves from instruction to exhortation, from the indicative to the imperative, from this is who you are to this is how you need to be. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect what Paul is doing here in this text he is glancing in his rearview mirror and and he considers all that has been covered up to this point in this letter he is going back to chapter 1 Chapter 1, verse 1, and he is looking back over all that the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write to this church. And I believe that he is in amazement about what God has already done up to this point. And he is in amazement of the power of the gospel unto salvation. I believe he's, he's, he's looking back over the truth that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness and unrighteousness of men. The truth that all are ungodly and none is righteous. He's looking back over the fact that the, uh, righteousness now manifests itself apart from the law, but through Christ Jesus. He's saying by faith we now have peace with God. By Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. Yet by Jesus Christ's obedience, many are now made righteous. He's looking at the fact that those who were dead to sin are now alive in God. He's considering that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's considering the fact that the Holy Spirit now gives life Through the imputation of Christ's righteousness upon us, that all who possess the Holy Spirit belong to Jesus and have a future hope. The fact that now nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. The fact that we, uh, for we are his through his sovereign choice and will and no one can pluck us out of his hand. The fact that we need only confess that Jesus is Lord, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The fact that God is not done with Israel yet and he is grafting, he is adding Gentiles to be a part of the family. Paul is looking back and I see he, he's thinking about this theology of praise just wells up in his heart, beloved. I don't know about you, but when I think about chapters 1 through 11, a praise begins to well up in my heart, and I find myself mocking and and copying the words of Paul where he says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind? the lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen he's looking back in his rearview mirror considering those theological doctrines of expiation The fact that it's God himself that removes our sin. He's looking back at propitiation, that uh, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is being applied to his people. He's he's talking about justification, that because uh, God in his own self declared that those by faith in Jesus Christ are now not guilty, they have been set free. The fact that we now have reconciliation, where we had beef with God, now we have peace with God, the fact that we, there is redemption that we have been bought back from the slave blocks of sin and that there is a resurrection for all who would find themselves following Jesus Paul is looking back and he says by these mercies by these mercies by these facts I, I beseech you, therefore, I I beg of you, my brother, that you would just give your life over to God completely. These mercies is not just the sense of God's kindness. That's that's how we that's how we will look at want to look at the text. that the mercies of God, and we just see that uh, God has been kind. God has been good. But what He's saying also in mercies, He's not just saying God's kindness, but the fact what. Well, Think about it. What does it mean to, ha- when you say, Lord, oh, Lord, have mercy. Some of y'all been shouting that a whole lot lately. Lord, have mercy. These kids in NTI is getting on my nerves. Lord, have mercy. We all been in this house on one roof, and they getting on my last nerve. Lord, have mercy. We've been shouting, have mercy. What are we saying? we saying, Lord, take away from me even that which I deserve. That's mercy. So when Paul says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, he's saying that God has done something to release you from the bondage and yoke of sin in order that you may have freedom to go into something else, and that is that uh, eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. By the mercies of God, the fact that he done got sin above off your back, that you are no longer shackled, a chain, a slave to sin, and the fact that you have uh, 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 you have been set free through the letter written in the blood of Christ Jesus, and because of these mercies, Paul is saying, based upon, based totally upon this, surrender your lives totally to God. Stop holding back. Stop. Trying to find a loophole. Stop trying to do your own thing. How, how do I know Paul is saying, stop trying to figure out your own way of life? He says this because he he wants you to be, he says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Beloved, that's just another way of saying we just become dead men walking. The fact that we have laid down our lives to Jesus Christ and we will not pick it back up. See, let me back up for a second because you missed your shouting point. In the Old Testament, uh, when they would go into the temple, they would have a a goat, a ram, or a bull or something like that. And when they prepared to sacrifice, they would actually cut the neck Of the animal, I mean, it's 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 a little it's a little hard, but sin is hard to think about too when we really think about it, and 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 all and and the blood will come out, and, and 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 the text of scripture says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin, and the life blood the life of the animal was in its blood, and then they they would they would. Uh, take the parts of the animal and lay it on the altar, and it would be consumed totally unto the Lord. See, see, for for some of those offerings, for for the majority of the sin offerings, you, the one who gave it, who, who gave the offering, didn't get anything back to eat. Oh, beloved, 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 in those offerings, the entire animal would be consumed unto God. What does that mean? You didn't get a piece of it Wasn't nothing coming back. Once you committed that animal to sacrifice, it was dead and gone. What Paul is saying to you and what he's saying to me, once we commit ourselves to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not your own and you can't take yourself back. Once you lay down on the altar, you can't get back up. You're supposed to be totally consumed by that sacrifice. You're a living sacrifice. Though I've laid down my life and I'm completely dead, I can still keep living and shouting. And when I walk around, people should smell that fresh aroma coming off my dying life. They should be able to experience the the grace of God coming off my life because I done laid it down. The whole sacrifice was burnt up. See, beloved, in this Christian walk, you need to make a decision. Are you committed or are you just going to contribute? That reminds me of that old parable. You know what parable I'm talking about. The parable of the chicken and the pig. A chicken and a pig was walking past the church one day, and they saw they was having a charity breakfast. The chicken says to the pig, you know what, I think we should help them. Let's go in and help them make some bacon and eggs. The pig looks back at the chicken and says, bacon and eggs? Oh, you are merely trying to contribute, but if I lay down for some bacon, I'll give them, I'm committed to this breakfast. Beloved, some of y'all want the benefits of Jesus Christ without being committed, because the chicken, all he got to do is lay an egg, and you got your eggs, but in order for you to enjoy some, uh, some bacon and some ham, that pig has to lay down his life. And some of us want the benefits of the gospel without having to lay down our lives We're trying to get the benefits of glory without having to lay down our lives. We keep acting like we act. We keep talking like we want to talk. And Jesus Christ is saying, if you belong to me in light of this gospel, in light of this cross, you need to die. We die in order that we may live. Total Total submission, total surrender. This is what it means to not be conformed to this world. He's talking about don't 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 live in a way that you actually fit the mold of the world. Live in such a way when when you out with your homies and homegirls that you 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 different than them. Live in a way that your boss notices your difference. You, you, you don't give your boss all the attitude that everybody else gives your boss. Your boss actually likes coming around you because you're hospitable and you're kind. It, don't, don't, don't be like everybody else on Facebook and Twitter who have no hope and you just cutting everybody because you are frustrated. Uh, don't be like, he's saying, don't be conformed to this way of thinking of the world, the way that everybody just functions, but be different if you are just like everybody else, then you're, you're conformed. You're conformed. This is the Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your minds on things above and not on things in the earth. Are you more worried about what's going on around you than the salvation you've already received? Christians are called to a life of total Transformation. And our transformation does not constrain within the walls of a church. Our lives should be walking, talking, breathing, living vessels of worship. This is what he's talking about, which is your spiritual worship. Every single day, we should be experiencing worship with God because we continually lay down our lives and we die to self. So in light of the gospel, Christians live surrendered to God. But then in verses 3 through 21, we see that in light of the gospel, Christians live surrendered to neighbor. I'm not going to read it all here, but in verses 3 through 21, Paul, he now moves from being wholly surrendered to God to being wholly surrendered to neighbor. Again, in light of the gospel. This giving of ourselves until our neighbor begins with right thinking about ourselves. In verse, <clears throat> in verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What is he saying? In order to serve your neighbor, you got to think about yourself in the right way. In order to serve your neighbor, you can't think you're actually better than your neighbor. Remember what the gospel does for our pride. The gospel says, you were wretched, you were despicable, you were an enemy just like everybody else. And only because of the cross of Christ and what Jesus has done, he has by grace poured out his spirit upon you and giving you life, and life that recognizes and understands that you need to repent and turn, and it's only by his grace that you are saved. See, but as human beings, we, we, when we come to salvation, we think we did it ourselves, and we put ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and, and everybody else is stupid, and I'm smart because I'm a Christian, and y'all love the world, and we think it was something that we did. But Jesus is telling us, you weren't you, you sharp, you weren't you the brightest, you, you know how they say, you weren't the, uh, the, the brightest crayon in the box. You weren't the sharpest pencil on the table. He, he's saying, but in spite of you, I still came and got you. And I came and I, and I washed you. And, and I sanctified you. So now when I'm looking at someone else that I'm supposed to serve, they may not have their life all right. But what God is saying, I need to humble myself before them, before I could ever serve them. I can't serve nobody while I'm looking down over them. The only way I can really serve somebody is when I get lower and where they are, and I get down and say, can I help you? A true an objective estimate of ourselves flow from a true and objective estimate of the gospel. Beloved, just a point of I mean, we just gotta keep it real. Christians need humility. That's what Paul's saying. If you're gonna really love your neighbor, you need to be humble. You may be smart, you may be your family's residential theologian, you may have you may be the best in wherever you are, but you need to walk with humility says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought you ain't nobody i ain't nobody but we know somebody and that somebody is Christ Jesus we need humility we so 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 what he, what he's saying is that that humility that we have actually allows us to be a part of a family because he goes on and he talks about for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another what he is saying is all of us we're not the same we have different giftings but if we're going to work this thing together we have to have a common mindset and that mindset is one of humility But Christ, had it not been for the Lord on my side, Where would I be? That's the type of posture. So now when you're serving using your gift and I'm serving using my gift, we both can shout. Your gift might put you up front. My gift may put me in the back. But we're still excited because the entire body is being blessed. That's where he goes in and talks about prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation. His point is not to get into these specific spiritual gifts, but the fact that as Christians we each have a spiritual gift. To be used to produce harmony, we have this interdependence. So, so in other words, what he's really saying, he's saying, God has blessed you to do something, and we are to be one body. So, if 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 you do what you do, and I do what I do, we're going to have a blessed fellowship because of who Christ is. Christians need humility, but then another thing that we're lacking a lot of that we need today, Christians just need love. In verse 9, he says it plainly. He says, let let love be genuine. Oh, beloved. I I could preach that text for an hour. Let love be genuine. Stop acting like you love me if I'm your brother and sister Christ. Stop Stop, stop stop saying you love me, but then you go behind my back on Twitter and you dog me. Don't 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 say you love me, and then you 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 like trolling me on Facebook, sub-tweeting and all that stuff. Don't 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 say you love me. Let love be genuine. Stop being fake. So don't, don't say you love me as long as I agree with you don't say you love me as long as I agree with your politics, as long as I agree with your candidate, as long as I agree with your neighborhood, as long as I agree with your social uh, demographic makeup, your socioeconomic sector. Don't, don't, don't love me just when, when, when I look like I'm on your side. But, but uh, the true mark of love is when you're able to love someone when they ain't on your side. Because, beloved, the text of Scripture reminds us, but God Demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, while we were still in our mess, while we were still toe up from the flow up, that Jesus died for us. That's the true measure of love, being able to love someone when they don't agree with you. And here, that love is the indicator that says you should do something. Because we know love is an action word. So what should we do? He then he 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 lays it out for us, giving us almost 30 different commands to demonstrate our love. Abhor, abhor, abhor what is evil, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another. And he goes on and on and on with these with almost 30 different commands. And and and, and he this is not even an exhaustive list at all. He's saying that. If you're going to live in light of the gospel, there are some things that you've got to do. Because we have been filled with the Spirit, remember Romans 8, life by the Spirit, because those who, who, who are in Christ Jesus have been indwelled by the Spirit, he now produces the ability for us to walk this out. And what I love what Paul is doing, he's actually contrasting a way of living that's, that's different than the world. See, in chapter 1, he says that those who who did not honor God, he says they were heartless. Have you seen some heartless folks these days? He says they're heartless, but then here, the the marks of a Christian, he says, don't be heartless, be loving. In chapter 1, he says, those folks who don't follow the Lord, they approve of evil. But here he says, hate evil. In chapter 1, he says, they they are haters of God, but here we're servants of God. In chapter 1, he says, they are arrogant and boastful. But here, in chapter 12, the Christian is humble and low. In chapter 1, he says, they're full of strife. They want to fight, argumentative. He says, but here, the marks of a Christian is harmony and peace. In chapter 1, he says, they're filled with malice. Just hate and animosity. But here he says, repay no one for evil. Paul is contrasting two ways of life. Those who don't live in light of the gospel and those who do live in light of the gospel. Beloved, when we think about this text this morning, I just want to challenge you to consider, are you living a surrendered life? Have you surrendered yourself to God? totally have you surrendered yourself to your neighbor to others are you living a surrender type life but not only that are you walking in humility have you actually considered that you might be wrong sometimes have you ever thought about that you might have a blind spot that you need someone to speak into your life? Or or, or maybe you're so busy speaking into everybody else's life that you're just not quiet enough so someone can speak into your life. Are you walking in humility? Do you see yourself as an individual, autonomous, or part of a family, accountable and responsible? But then thirdly, Are you living a surrendered life? Are you walking in humility? Thirdly, has the way you love been transformed by the gospel? Do you love differently? Does your your love hate what is evil? Does your love cause you to hold fast to what is good? I like here in verse 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. As a, as a matter of fact, don't just love one another, outdo one another in showing honor. You know what that means? Like, there should be actual, actual quote-unquote arguments on, like, who get the door for somebody? Oh, no, you go first. Oh, no, you go first. No, I'm helping you, you go first. Like, we should, we should actually, if we're going to argue about anything, we should actually argue about how nice we could be for one another now, I'm, I'm going to cook you dinner this Sunday no I was going to cook you dinner this Sunday no let me cook you dinner oh you, you need a ride let me pick you up no I'm going to pick you up no when we say actually I'll do one another what, what, wouldn't that blow the mind of this world if we just acted like the gospel had implications on our life live with harmony in one another If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. See, I like that because it says uh, you, you do what you can, but you you do what you 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 can only control you. You do what you can to live peaceably. But what we do is, well, I tried. They want, they they don't want to talk to me, so I ain't talking to them. And we still have our own tit for tat. But most of all, beloved, in all of the chaos and confusion we see, Jesus gives us a plain word that we need to obey. If we don't obey this, we're in sin. In verse 21, he says, "Do do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Good. So does that mean I can cut folks when they cut me? Does that mean I can troll folks when they troll me on Facebook on, on media? That, does that mean that I, I, I just got to get my answer in? They, they need to hear what I got to say. Don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. See, in these days, it's easy to find yourself pretty Hopeless. But I will argue that hopefulness is connected to where you're placing your hope. When your hope is placed in this world, you will be disappointed. When your hope is placed in this world, nothing about you will change. But when your hope is placed in Jesus, that's an altogether different type of hope. Because when your hope is placed in Jesus, that's the hope of the gospel at work in your life the fact that you're ready to lay down your life, that Jesus may live through you, the fact that you know that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Christ Jesus, that you know that had it not been Jesus who came and laid down his life, had not the Lord grabbed you up out of your mess, had not the Lord filled you with his Holy Spirit, allowing you to breathe the the real breath of life, had not God been working and moving and allowing your grandma, to be praying for you and allowing the uh, uh, those old saints of old to be on your side had it not been God working in the background from the beginning of time before the foundation oh I love before the foundation of the world he had you on his mind had God not been working and you understand that gospel he gives you a new perspective and another uh, and a divine type of hope this 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 hope in Jesus is a hope in heaven that when I lay down my last time on this side of glory, I'm going to cross over how how the old saints, I'm going to cross over the Jordan and I'm going to be on the other side and I'm going to see my Savior face to face. This is the hope of eternal life. The fact that uh, uh, I love the song we says, though we've been there, 10,000 years bright shining has the sun I've no less days to sing his praise than when I first begun that's beloved that's my hope that when I see him I ain't gotta stop preaching I ain't gotta stop Praising. I ain't got to stop lifting my hands. I ain't got to worry about going to a job. I ain't got to worry about going to a job I don't like or or being around people that I don't like. I ain't got to worry about having a bad attitude no more because sin is going to be gone. I I ain't got to worry about my mind being affected by sin. I ain't got to worry about my back being affected by sin. I ain't got to worry about having sugar and none at all of high blood pressure no more because. when I see him face to face the hope of the gospel tells me I'm going to look just like Jesus in my glorified body. That's an altogether different hope. And beloved, Jesus is calling you today to that hope. To trust in him that you may live. If you are looking for hope Look to Jesus today. Father, thank you for your word, for being magnificent and marvelous. And Father, I ask that you would convict us of our sin, the ways we have not been living in light of the gospel. And I pray that you would bring about a transformation and a change in us, that you would be glorified and others will see. We love you, Lord. Lord, please take your word and we trust your promise that it will not return void. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen.